Uh, Father, we do thank you again this day. I, I, I just want to lift up the guest family to you. Father, we thank you for them. We, um, we're grateful, Lord, for the work that you're doing in their life. We thank you for uh, sweet Abby. We thank you for the doctors and the, the technology and the things that we have today um, to be able to see into her heart, to see that she needs a surgery. And so, Father, we pray for the family as they head into the surgery, Lord, that you would um, give them peace of heart and confidence in you. We pray for the doctors that you would give them wisdom and skill as they seek to do the surgery that they need to do. I pray for Abby, Lord, that you would give her peace. We pray for her body that you would um, help her body to accept what is being done and that she would have a speedy recovery. Um, we, we thank you for them and our dear friendship and, and partnership with them. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless them. Father, as we turn our attention to the scriptures today, we ask that you would help us to navigate Hebrews. Um, we're entering into one of these sections that's difficult, um, that, that many wrestle with and over. And, and so, Lord, we come to you humbly asking that you would um, allow us to sort of um, humble ourselves before you and that we would allow your word to speak over the next couple weeks especially. Um, we ask that you would guide us today. Help us not to push back against you. We uh, ask that you would help us to receive this word in joy and, and understanding. Lord, um, we thank you for these sections of scripture that prompt us in our journey with you. And so, Lord, may we have ears that hear and hearts that are soft and pliable. And that's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. <clears throat> Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So today's section begins this, this, this detour of thought, I guess, for lack of better terms. Um, starts in chapter 5 of verse 11. It carries all the way through uh, to chapter 6, verse 20. Uh, he pa the, the author pauses in, in what he's saying. Last week, Barry came and he shared about Melchizedek. It was sort of this introduction of this high priest. Um, but now there's a transition, a, a, a pausing of his teaching. And I think that in this section in Hebrews, we see the pastoral heart of, of this author. He knew the people that he was writing to. He loved them. He shepherded them. And, and, and sometimes a shepherd, for lack of better terms, has to kind of... Uh, I say, kick him in the seat of the pants. You know, if we're going to use Psalm 23, take his rod and the staff to kind of poke and prod to kind of get some encouragement here. Um, people have a very difficult time knowing how to divide this section. I wrestle with, do I, do I cover the whole thing to give us the big picture of it? Do I take a little section? Do I take a medium section? There's, a, there's so many different ways that you can split this up. Um, I've opted for just four verses here. And the four verses are, it's a hard word. And it's only going to get worse. I mean, it's going to get really challenging. Uh, 
arguably Hebrews chapter 6 is probably one of the most difficult chapters in all of the New Testament to, to understand, to grasp, grapple with. And, and really it has to do with that we come with theological understanding and, and, and it, it can push back. All, all, I mean, I, I don't care what theological camp you're in. Um, this is one of those chapters that for centuries, I mean, for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries, people have grappled with what is this saying. And so we're taking a really hard section today. There's going to, there, there, there's this, I would say it's a scolding, but it's not a scolding because he loves them and he cares for them and they haven't done anything, they haven't really gone the direction that he's concerned about. But there's a concern. It's kind of like if you see your kid run out in the street, you're going to scream at them to get their attention, to, to bring them back. We see that at, at, going into next week, verse 1 of chapter 6, we see, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity. So he gets more encouraging. We see by verse 20 of chapter 6, or verse 19, he says, this hope we, we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope, both sure and steadfast, and one that enters within the veil. There's encouragement there. So, so, it's, so as we look at the hard things, we have to kind of remember the greater context that there's encouragement here. But in today's story, I, the, the picture of children, and, and if anybody's been around children, as a parent, I've like enjoyed the eating process. I don't like the cleaning up process, but you know the 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 baby's born and 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 it, it amazes me that that a baby can grow for like that first six months or whatever on breast milk. How does a baby like they they like quadruple in size over milk? If I went on a milk diet, I would, which might be good for me. I'd probably lose a couple pounds. <laughs> But it's like, how do they flourish on milk? And then they start getting a teeth or or a tooth, and then a, then teeth, and then and then you you can put them in like the high chair, and you can start you know like blending up a really soft banana and and introduce to you like a little bit of like milk in the banana that's like that they that won't choke them, and then they graduate. You know, for me in my house with mom's blessing, it's like, can we try this or can we, you know, and then they get like little chunks of that. Not, it's not cereal, but it's like the cereal that you put in your mouth and it dissolves or the biscuits that they kind of gnaw on like a dog. And there, there's things that you begin to sort of like introduce new food to them and it's fascinating. It, then it's like, then you can get to like the meat. There's for me as a dad, like you know, I pride myself on my barbecue. I enjoy my barbecue. There's nothing prouder for me than to get like a big old like tri-tip steak, cut and I slice it into like super super tiny pieces, and to put it on the, like the baby's plate and see the baby go, whoa, what is this? This is amazing. Is that smoked in oak wood? Why, yes, honey, that's exactly what that is. It's wonderful. And then slowly those little like pieces of cutting them up get like bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they get to the point where like, Dad, I don't want you to cut it up. Give me the steak knife. You sure? Okay, let's go for this. You know, like Gideonson is like, he looks at me, he's like, hey, Dad, can I get some knife time now? It's like, you want some knife time? Okay, son, we'll get some knife time. And so we'll work on cutting and, and, and it's great. And there's always that tension. Like, like we've all done, like, where you have a, a young one that's growing up and you think, oh, they're ready for something big and they have that, like, all of a sudden they choke. And it's like, ah, what I do? I killed my kid. Shake him upside down trying to get it out and it spits out. Or on, or on the opposite end of the spectrum is my sister. I love my sister. She has no children. So it's really funny when she comes over because she doesn't have like a baseline of what's normal. And so she'll come over to like, you know, with Grace, like, honey, you need me to cut up your food? Grace's like, no, I know how to cut up my food. Like, I can do that. You don't. And if, they're, if she's left, she'll cut them in. I'm like, you don't have to. She has teeth and she knows how to do it. 
But there's the base, like, you don't want to give somebody that's really young something that will cause them to choke. And then on the other side, when I sit down to my steak, I don't need you blending up my steak so that I can eat it safely. Like, so there's, in, in human life, this gross spectrum, there's sort of things along the way, checkpoints of where you're supposed to be. And so the author of Hebrews, really, this week, I've, I've wanted to call him the pastor. Like, we don't know who this individual is. But he's so pastorally. And, and he lets us know that in the spiritual life, there's a growth chart. That if you've been a Christian for so long, you should be able to move beyond sort of drinking out of a bottle. You should, at some point, be able to have the spiritual banana that's been blended up. And then after that, maybe the crackers. And then, you know, you can handle more solid food. But in this section, he challenges them and he he confronts them for their immaturity. And I don't know why I've had this crazy image in my mind all week, but I saw it on TV somewhere way back when. I thought I almost thought I was making it up. So I had to Google it and then I watched a bunch of videos that I was like disturbing to me. I don't remember what it's called, but there's something where grown adults like to pretend like they're babies. And there are people that facilitate it. As I watch this, I watch this one video, and there's this guy, he like goes to work, comes home, throws on his diaper, puts on his onesie, starts playing with Legos. If he needs to take a nap, he hops into his adult-sized crib. He's presently working on a high chair that can hold his 300 pounds of weight. And, and it's, I'm watching this going, who? He's doing it, and I thought, this is his mom? And it turns out it's not his mom. It's a nurse that he pays to come in to, like, treat him like a, a baby. And this is the image. The writer's, like, writing to, like, the, 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 this church, this group of believers, and he warns them. He's like, you guys are all adults, but you're sitting there, like, with your baby, your bottle, eating milk, and you need, you need to be moving down the road. And so it would be very easy for us to kind of sit back and say, well, we're good. And really, my heart is not to... We, like, we, we, we have a church where you can teach, and there's, there's a time allotted for teaching the Bible that far exceeds the standard. And so my heart isn't to, like, scold people that are here. But at the same time, even for me, coming to this text, I, I can't think, oh, I'm good, this doesn't apply to me. So I have to, and we have to come to this and really subject ourselves in humility say, Lord, what do I have to learn from this? Because none of us have attained where we're supposed to ultimately be, amen? I hope that we're not, we're, we're, we're all on a journey. And so this is a good reminder. And so in verse 11, he writes, concerning him, we have much to say. So we pause and we ask the question, who, who, who is the him? Who's he talking about? He'd been talking about Melchizedek. Now, now Barry, he, he introduced us to Melchizedek. We got just a little taste of, of, of what's to come. But the author begins to explain that that Melchizedek was a priest, not of the, the priestly line of Aaron. And Jesus isn't of the priestly line of Aaron and the Levites. He's of the priestly order of Melchizedek. And we, we didn't so much get into it last week, but the things that he's saying are, are huge. They're, they're super significant. It's, it's really everything. And the recipients of this letter, remember, the timing is so critical that this was written in about A.D. 65 to A.D. 68. We know that the temple was still running, that the, the priesthood was still in operation. They are sacrificing animals. They have this huge mat. I mean, I don't even know how many football feet. I forget, the, but it, it's ginormous. 
And now you have this group of followers of Christ who are sort of scattered. There are people that are being executed for following after Christ. They're meeting in homes in the shadow of the priesthood. And And Melchizedek doesn't represent that priesthood. He represents a priesthood that was prior to that priesthood. I think about it when people visit the church. It happens every so often, especially if the person has more of a liturgical background. They'll come to our building and they'll say, well, where's, where's everything? What, what do you mean by everything? Well, stained glass. Where's the stained glass? And, and the, the, the structure and the altar. <laughs> where's the pastor? That's me. You're the pastor? <laughs> yeah. All you have is a little piece of like a little wooden stand that, that wobbles and is like it's small. And Well, yeah, but our, our priest is Christ. There's a, there's a distinction. And, and see, for them, what, what he's beginning to, the case he's beginning to make is that the, the, the line of air and the priesthood that was running the temple, these were priests that were going continually making sacrifices over and over and over again for their own sins, for the sins of the people. And they were going before God, pleading with God that he would hear their prayers, that these, that these gifts would be acceptable to him. Now, Melchizedek was a different sort of priesthood altogether. Uh, Barry mentioned last week that he holds that, that Melchizedek was pre-incarnate Christ making an appearance on earth. I, 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 I think there's a good evidence for that. And so this, this Melchizedek, he shows up on scene before the law. He blesses in, in an order. It's not like Abraham blessed him. He blessed Abraham or Abram, I think, at the time. And he's saying that this priesthood isn't making sacrifices hoping to please God, but it's the very opposite. It's actually God who made the sacrifice and says, come. Come, find your rest in me. It's huge. He says, verse 11, concerning him we have much to say. He has so much to say on this. And he's going to continue to talk about Melchizedek. As soon as we get to verse 20, Melchizedek comes up again. And basically chapters 7 through 10 deal exclusively with Melchizedek. But he says, for now, I need to kick you in the pants to move you along, to encourage you, to, to, to force you to wake up, to hear the things that he's saying to us. He says, I have so much to say, but it's hard to explain. And to be very quick to pause there and to say, well, of course it's hard to explain. Do you know how many times Melchizedek is mentioned in the Old Testament? This isn't a pop quiz. Just I have the answer. and I'll just. There's the one story of Melchizedek, and then it's referen- he's referenced a second time in Psalms. So a total of two times in the whole of the Old Testament This guy, Melchizedek, is mentioned. And really, there's one story. In the New Testament, do you know how many times Melchizedek is mentioned outside of Hebrews? Zero. And in Hebrews, Melchizedek is mentioned eight times. But I think that the the message is huge as we sort of quickly reflect on Hebrews and the context and what they were going through. These are Jewish believers who had come to Christ. In their coming to Christ, they'd experienced much persecution. People had been executed for their faith in Christ. There, was a, there were a number of people, the, the, the shadow of the temple was, was drawing them away from Christ, back under the Levitical law, the author of Hebrews opens in chapter 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers 
and the prophets in many portions in many ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. And if you remember that Greek sentence is a really very long sentence with one verb that God spoke in the past. He spoke in all sorts of different ways, but now he is speaking to us in his son. He expands on the greatness and the majesty of the Son and His deity, showing how He's greater than all things. Chapter 1 deals with the angels in His deity. Then chapter 2, He understands the Jewish mind would say, but Jesus became a man, and in His humanity, He was less than the angels. And so then all of chapter 2, He shows that Jesus is actually greater than the angels in his humanity because what he came to do was far greater than they could ever do. And so we get our first warning in chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift from it. Hearing the voice of God in Christ is a critical message of Hebrews because there's no one greater than Jesus. Not the angels, chapter 3. Not Moses. And so he talks about Moses and he gives the warning about how they hardened their hearts and because their hearts were hardened, they failed to hear the voice of God and they were led astray. And ultimately, going into chapter 4, because their hearts were hardened as they were supposed to be, as they were supposed to enter into the promised land, because of the hardness of their hearts, they never entered in. Only Caleb, Joshua, and the younger generation that wasn't a part of the sin of rejecting God's voice. And he moves into rest. This promised rest. Enter in. Don't, don't let it pass you. Don't, 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 don't neglect this rest that God is offering to you in Christ. Then he moves into the priesthood. And as he enters into the priesthood, he's creating a, a line in the sand, these two tracks. There's Aaron over here. There's Melchizedek over here. And rest ties directly into this. That under the priesthood, under the temple, you did all of these works. And the more you work, that's how you try to appease God. That's how you try to uh, find him. And, and I didn't, I, I mean, I was raised in the Catholic Church, but I, I can't blame the Catholic Church on me. I, I was not religious. Um, I was drugged through the motions and I could care less about what was happening. My... my my number one goal in church was not to snore because the one time I did snore, the priest called me out and that didn't go over well for me later in the day. Even though my dad was totally cool with me laying down on the floor and using the kneeling pad as a pillow to sleep, that was okay, but snoring was not okay. And if I fell asleep and snored, then I wouldn't get a donut at the end of service. So, that was my motivation. And my point for bringing this up, well, what was, what's my point? I, my point is, I, I, while I was raised in a very works-oriented culture, I wasn't really a part of that culture in many ways. But those who I've talked to, those who I've come to know and to love, and, and like my wife was raised in a very legalistic, spiritual upbringing, um, you know, I spent last week with the Manning family. They were raised and, and were a part of very dogmatic religiousness. And in talking to people who were raised under that sort of system, to you can see it in their eye, the tears of the pain of religiousness and the, the burden it puts on you. There's no rest and here in chapter 4, before he talks about the priesthood, he's pleading with them to enter to the rest of Christ. Very naturally from that, to, they're battling the temple and the synagogue and this religiousness. And Jesus' priesthood is very distinct from the priesthood of Aaron. And he says, I have much to say, but it's hard to explain. Not because of... It's not because Melchizedek was only in the Old Testament twice. The reason that he's having a hard time explaining it is because he says, since you have become dull in hearing. This word's used twice in the New Testament. It's also used in chapter 6. 
Verse 12, if you're reading out of the New American Standard, it says, so that you will not become sluggish. That word sluggish is the same word. I think the NIV translates it laziness or to be lazy. And he says, I have so much to tell you. There's so much that's foundational that, that, that about how we live and how we walk and how we understand the world as God sees it and wants us to see it. But I'm limited in being able to explain it to you because you've stopped listening. Your spiritual ears are filled with wax and you, could, you just don't care. And so sort of what he does, if I was a SEAL instructor, I missed those days of when people would nod off and I could yell at them. Like, or I could send everybody out to the surf zone to get wet and sandy, then to come back and we'll resume class. Or there's the bucket seats that pe- I've mentioned over the years. There's been some, people are okay with it. Um, we would have the five-gallon Home Depot buckets. There was four of them in the classroom, suspended in air. And there we mounted something on the bottom, tied to a rope, and the instructor up here had a four lines. And if a student was drowsy, they could sit under there, and I would just set them there. And if they fell asleep, I could just pull the line, bucket would dump the water on the kid, wake him up. Brilliant teaching tool. Someday, maybe. <laughs> Henry saying no. Um, but he's sort of like, wake up, guys. You need to hear this. This is so critical, and you're asleep at the wheel, and you're being sucked astray. There's something to being challenged by somebody. I, I've, I've mentioned my friend, his name was Luke. I didn't know him that well, but we were at the same team together. I didn't know he was a Christian at first. I was sneaking my Bible. I've shared this story often where I'm reading my Bible at lunch, trying to get through it, and I get out of my car, lunch is over, I'm heading back into the team. And Luke comes up to me and he says, hey, Gunnar, are you a Bible thumper? Oh, no, 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 I'm not one of those. No, not at all. And he says, oh, well, I am. And I saw you reading your Bible. I thought you were one of us. And I was like, oh, man, I felt so bad. It had a huge impact on me. Then later, eight months later, I had gone through some trouble. I had done some stupid stuff. Still young in my faith, figuring out how my Christianity worked out in a very secular world. I was really wrestling with it. I got into a little trouble, which I don't need to share about up here. This is, this is a different one. And so when I was at the quarter deck, sort of working through a punishment, he comes through. The quarter deck's the front desk, just so you guys don't know. Um, Non-Navy types. So I was sitting there, and he came up, and he said, Hey, Gunner, and he said, You're a Christian now, and your behavior matters. What, 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 how you behave, it, it demonstrates what you believe. And it was very loving and it was very kind, but it was one of those moments in my early in my Christian life that had huge impact. Beginning to wrestle with that, that my, my actions, I always thought my actions were sort of things that helped my relationship with God. But in that moment, he demonstrated to me that my actions actually only reflected what was in my mind and deep within my heart. And that God cared about what was in my heart, and if what was in my heart, it would lead to action. And when you read the Bible, there's this battle for our minds. There's a battle for how we, how we think. Romans 12, 2, um, verse 1 is this encouragement to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. But then he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so he's worried. He's, he's, he's fighting for their minds. Their actions are demonstrating that they're childish and that they haven't moved beyond in their thinking and their understanding of who God is and what God desires of them. And so I don't want us to, I come to this verse and when I hear concerning him we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. I don't go, oh yeah, the people of Grace Point Church, they're so dull of hearing. I got it down. I need to hammer them this week. I I come to this verse and I think, oh Lord, I'm, 
how's my hearing off? I need to get a hearing check spiritually. What, what things have dulled my ears and my heart that I'm not hearing you as I should? Because I recognize in my own life, I don't hear God as I should, like I, I should. And I want to hear him more. And so when I come to this, it's like, okay, Lord, speak to me. I, I, I want to grow. And he continues and he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, there's this, there's this picture of spiritual movement. You shouldn't be drinking milk. You should, you, if you got saved six months ago, well, maybe you're at the point where we uh, puree the bananas and you start eating the bananas. Maybe you got saved two years ago and now you can, you're up to the point where we can slice hot dogs for you and you can grab the hot dog and kind of take a little bite of it. Now, you've been a Christian for 20 years, and you should be able to like get the barbecue ready. You should be able to cut and prepare the meat. You should be able to fire up the meat and then serve it to others. There's this picture that there's supposed to be spiritual growth. That's, that clearly is measurable, because he's not suggesting that everybody's going to go be teachers. But the idea is that you should be you should be able to teach at this point. If you'll turn with me over to Ephesians two verse eight, and when you find Ephesians, you can stay there, like just hold your spot there, because we'll we'll go back a couple times, or I'll reference it. So we all know Ephesians two eight and nine. This is very well known. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not as, as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We, we, we get that. You, you didn't earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. If you think that you can earn your own salvation, if you think that your good works can get you to a certain point where then God owes you salvation, it demonstrates that you have no idea of God's holiness. And, and the bar that he has set is far beyond anything that we could do. But Jesus, of the order of Melchizedek, he came and he made the offering, the sacrifice for us that is acceptable. And he says, come, enter in. And so we receive this gift that's grounded in grace, totally by grace. We receive it by faith, period. But then there's this verse 10, which is so often overlooked for we are his workmanship. That Greek word is poema. It's, it's this idea of a masterpiece, a, a poem, a, that God is doing something in you, that you're a part of his beautiful tapestry. That he didn't save you just to get you a uh, pass out of hell. He saved you and he wants to use you in his master plan of what he's doing. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There's this idea of spiritual growth and a journey of moving down the line. Going back to Hebrews, but hold your place in Ephesians. This, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. This, this, this idea in the language is, is like, you should be teaching, but you need somebody to come teach you your ABCs. Like, are the ABCs important? Absolutely. You, you can't begin to read or to write unless you know the ABCs. It's in any language. Whether it's Greek, or you start taking Greek, you start taking Hebrew, you start taking Spanish or uh, or any language that doesn't use the same character, like any language, you need to know the alphabet. You learn your ABCs. It's foundational. Do you throw away the ABCs when you're done with them? No. Everything builds from the ABCs. But he's saying by this time, you ought to be teachers, and it begs the question, how many years have you known Christ? How's your progress? Not saying that the Christian life is a, uh, you know, a, a slow, steady, you're constantly going uphill. But I hang out with a lot of financial advisors, and my dad was a retired financial advisor, and his office is like family to me. And 
And I know what they always do, and I've been down there a lot with my dad and his dementia and having these things and dealing with it. But they sit you down and they say, well, with investing, and they pull out these graphs of like 100 years. And the graphs, they have like all of the ziggy, ziggy lines, and sometimes like in the 30s, there's the one that goes way down here. And then it squiggles, 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 and I saw a pen down there. And, and, and it, like over 100 years, it's still upward progress. Now, there's dips in the road. I think what the author's saying, we're not saying that you're called to perfection, or, or I mean, we are called to perfection in, in Christ. But the journey in this life, there's, there's dips in the road. But your chart should be going up, and, and over 10 years, over 20 years, you should be able to see spiritual development. And he's afraid that they're going downward, that they're actually worse than when they began. And I kind of think that that's where he's going in all of chapter 6, that this, this, this very difficult chapter, that, that if you depart from Christ to go back under the sacrificial system, you're far worse off than you were. Because there's none greater than Christ. There's no greater sacrifice that could be made in your behalf. And, and so this isn't a school. Like I'm blessed that our church is, is filled with people that want to get involved. And if you're new here, don't ever feel like that they're, all the spots on the team are taken. We haven't made it to verse 13. I'm grateful for those that serve. You know, VBS is coming. I'm so grateful that VPS is not dependent on me. This is not my week to shine. But it's not, I don't have to. This is, I'm thankful for all the people that make this week happen, that want to bless our kids and the, and the kids of our community. It's, it's wonderful. Um, now coming to verse 13, for everyone who partake, partakes of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. <clears throat> for he is an infant. If you've ever hosted a gathering of people, you always sort of take in uh, who's coming and the ages. Um, <clears throat> we enjoy hosting. I've already shared I like barbecuing. Um, you know, I always start with like a like a big, nice chunk of meat that the mature will enjoy. <clears throat> But if there's children, it's like, oh, so-and-so has a baby. It's like, oh, well, we put our high chair away, but let's, let's go get the high chair out. So you pull out the high chair, hose them all off, get them clean. Oh, there's two kids. Oh, we got two high chairs. Let's bring the high chairs out. Do they need us to prepare food for the baby? Well, what are they eating? Oh, we can take the bananas and make sure that the mom can, can mush up the bananas for them. Oh, there's going to be a bunch of like four- to six-year-olds. Four to six-year-olds aren't going to, they haven't acquired the taste for tri-tip yet. What do they want? They want hot dogs. Because they're, they're, they're not quite at the mashed up bananas, but they're not quite to tri-tip yet, so we'll get them hot dogs. And we prepare hot dogs and, and mac and cheese. And then we'll have the tri-tip and we'll have corn on the cob and we'll have all of this stuff so that the, the meal can accommodate a range of people. It's deeply convicting to me as it comes to teaching the scriptures because this isn't a seminary classroom where everybody's expected to be at a certain level and then we launch from there. That, 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 while there's no seminary in the scriptures, the, the church has an obligation to teach at that high level but at the same time, for somebody who walked in off the street and never knew Christ, we need to offer milk to them. And so with every message, including this one, like if, you're, if you've never accepted Christ, we need to, to practice hospitality. We need to do our due diligence of teaching the ABCs to you. If you've been a Christian for 30 plus years and you know the word, and we, we have to teach it for what it says. My deep conviction is, is in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. It says that God gave pastors to equip the saints, that's all of us, 
for the work of service. That, that we're to grow. That, that the gift of pastor-teacher has been given so that the word would go out so that it would be digestible. If you're in here, I pray that my teaching is if you're brand new to the faith, that I'm cutting it up in nice small pieces for you and giving you some. And for those that have been walking with the Lord longer than me, I'm hoping that I'm just slopping on a T-bone steak and giving you the fork and knife and whetting your appetite so that you can go and you can dig and you can get more. My prayer is that we all grow spiritually. And with this, listening leads to obedience. And they're so closely connected because what we practice reveals what we actually believe. You know, we all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one, uh, his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life or something close to that. That's Gunnar's quick translation. But then if you read that chapter all the way down, it's Jesus who's speaking. And the very last verse of that sentence, Jesus says, he who believes in the son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides in him. That, that verse has always sort of struck me in a weird way. It's, it, it's like, Jesus, don't you have this backwards? I mean, or not backwards, but if, if the one who believes has eternal life, then it seems like the one that has the wrath of God upon them is the one who doesn't believe. But he says the one that doesn't obey how do we make sense of this? The, the reality is, is that obedience is really just an intensified form of hearing. Lane, a Greek scholar, says this. In Greek and Hebrew, the verb obey is simply an intensified form of the verb to hear. The two verbs exhibit the same root form, but the, very, the verb to obey has been intensified. The implication is that when we pay the closest attention to the message we have received, we will obey the gospel. And so the, the writer here wants them to not just hear, but then to begin to practice, to move on to living out the Christian life. It says, verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice, I love that word, the idea of practice, doesn't call them all at once. It takes with time. It comes with you tripping and falling and learning and growing. And as you step out and you start struggling as you're serving God and he begins to stretch you, then you'll be equipped to handle certain things along the way and then you'll grow spiritually. Because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil, which is Tied to that, that phrase up in verse 13. For everyone who partakes of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. The word of righteousness is that worldview that allows us to navigate this life to discern good from evil, which we see this practice. Our, our senses are trained. Back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, I told you to stay there. I warned you, so if you didn't. That's on you. One of my favorite verses in the whole of the Bible. Paul writes, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He says, as you go through life, this world is filled with evil. There's so much stuff out there. And as Christians, as followers of Christ, we need to take in the word of God. We need the spirit to, to lead us and to guide us because every single day we're faced with decisions in our thoughts, in our hearts. Uh, there's pressures on us from outside and then there's the flesh within us. And so we need to grow in our relationship with God that we have the wisdom to navigate this world. And it doesn't come overnight. It comes with practice, it comes time with spending time with the Lord. It, it comes time with ensuring that your ears are sensitive to his voice. Which is, how do we do this? Of course, there's the foundations. Today, we're taking communion. 
communion is one of these things I think we could take every single day um, because it's, it's the, it, it, it is the foundation. When we take the broken cracker, we're reminded of the body of Christ that was broken for our sins. The, the juice reminds us of the new covenant that because of what he did, we now have access to God. We have peace with God. We're challenged to, to confess our sins as, as those who have followed Christ. We're, we're not now, we're not sin, we're, blah, blah, blah. we're still saved sinners. It's not like there are sinners out there and there's not sinners here. We're saved sinners. We still have the flesh within us and we still sin and we still struggle. The prayer is that we move along in our spiritual journey, that the little sins become the big sins and but in this life, we're, we have our flesh. And so communion forces us to our knees to recognize what Christ did and so that we don't view our sin apathetically like, no, Jesus went to the cross for me. And so while I might not struggle with the same sins I struggled with 20 years ago, in my mind I have thoughts and, and attitudes that, that God is working on me with. And so do you. And as we come to communion, we're forced to, to confess, Lord, I'm lazy. I'm a lazy Christian. The only time I hear the Bible is when I come to church on Sunday and it's open for me and I, it sort of spit out there for me. I, I need a, I don't even know the next step to take. Help me to take the next step. It's just belief. We... Um, I'm not going to say about that part. We're going to go into communion. And as we go to communion, communion is for those who have accepted Christ as their Savior. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, the gospel is simple. We're told that Jesus came to this world, that he lived a perfect life, that he was God in the flesh, that he was crucified according to the scriptures because of our sins. That he made the sacrifice that would bridge the gap that stands between us and God. You receive this gift simply by believing. There's nothing for you to do. It was done for you. For those of us who have received Christ as Savior, we need to be reminded of the gospel, that it's not based on our works, it's based on his work. And as we come to him, he's called us to live out the Christian life. He's called us into service. He's called us to grow deeper in our relationship with him. And from this passage, he the author is going to encourage us that there's hope that we're, we're grounded in him to go, but, but for now he wants to challenge us to, to, get, to grow, to get deeper. I found a quote from a Puritan, and the Puritans were intense. Richard Baxter writes, Make it your work with diligence to apply the word as you are hearing it. Cast not all upon the minister as those that will go no further then they are carried as by force. That totally reminds me of my childhood. You have to work to do as well as the preacher and should all the time be as busy as he. You must open your mouths and digest it, speaking of the word of God. For another cannot digest it for you. Therefore, be all the while at work and abhor an idle heart in hearing as well as an idle minister. I love this quote. It's challenging us to actually digest the word, to be in it actively. And so we're going to take communion. The guys are going to come forward. I'm going to pray. And we're going to end with communion. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day.
Father, we thank you for the rest that is offered in Christ. We confess, Lord, that it's so easy for us to turn this into a system of religion, a system of works, where we believe that how we behave or perform is how we earn favor with you or lose favor with you. And so, Father, as we continue our study, we ask that you would help us to understand this great distinction between the priesthood of Aaron and the priesthood of Melchizedek and how Christ has come and paid it all for us. As we take communion today, we're reminded that it's not our work, but his, that his body was broken on our behalf, that this gift was offered totally by grace, a word which we have a hard time comprehending. We thank you that he paid it all, that it was paid in full, that it was complete. Father, we confess to you that our flesh is strong and our desires pull us away from you. From within, there is a laziness, there's an apathy. And Father, we pray that you would light that fire within us, that we would long for you, that we would yearn for you, that we would desire to go deeper in the studying of your word, for in that study we find you. Father, I pray for each person. We are all in different places in our spiritual journey. And so for those who need milk, I pray that the milk would be pure, that they would be able to understand the gospel with clarity. For those of us that are a little bit further in our journey, we ask that you would help us to to begin to nourish ourselves through uh, meatier things. That the foundation of the gospel would always be there, but that we would step out in obedience. Lord, we're told in 1 Corinthians 11 about communion that as often as we take this, that we would proclaim the Lord's death. And so we see in coming to you for salvation, you have commissioned us to be your ambassador to this fallen world. And so as we take communion today, as we remember what Christ did for us, as we confess our sin to you, We ask you, Lord, to give us your eyes and your heart to go to the world that needs you so desperately. We need equipping in order to do this, and so we pray that your word would take root in our hearts, that we would get the nourishment that we need in Christ. And so we thank you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.